The COVID cases that we got didn't react like we were expecting them to. We were running short on propofol before COVID ever hit. We had a patient who had platelets of 25 who was still clotting. From a pharmacist's point of view, if you can recommend to a doctor that if you try this drug or that drug or don't do that, do this um, at this dose and you see someone survive, that's an amazing feeling. Welcome to the very first episode of the PRN Pod. Today we have a special guest in Lorraine Moore to talk about the pandemic and how it has affected her daily practice. So Lorraine is the lead pharmacist for critical care and anesthesia. Before that, she worked briefly in the CCG and also had stints in the renal and endocrine departments. She also worked as an NMI pharmacist in the past, but always dipped in and out of ITU. Love of the palliative care as well, but she doesn't really like kids, like neonates and children in general. Is that <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so I think that kind of covers her um, kind of professional side uh, and a bit of her you know, personal side. But I think, Lorraine, do you want to have a little introduction of just, you know, who you are and what kind of things you've kind of achieved over the years? Okay, uh, thank you. I think you've pretty much covered the professional stuff already. Um I have always loved ITU. I loved it from the first time I went up there as a pre-reg. Um, I was really lucky. Did my pre-reg at the Royal Cornwall Hospital. Uh, that's a complete lie. I did my uh, I did my pre-reg at the Royal Barks Hospital uh, back in two thousand and five. Um, I went to university in Portsmouth, uh, which at the time, was a 24 out of 24 university, so it's actually better than Bath, and I just need to put that in because everyone always thinks Bath is the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, personal achievements for me. Uh, I, I used to be a really good water skier when I was younger. I used to love a lot of outdoor sports. Motorsport. Um, I used to really enjoy snowboarding until I broke my neck eight oh. years ago, um, so I've not done that anymore. Mm. Uh, I'm currently trying to get my private pilot's license, which is pretty cool. Um, COVID has totally thrown that one for me because I can't actually go in a plane with anyone at the moment, which is annoying. Uh, I, as you know, I love doing a bit of DIY. I was totally late for coming today <laughs> because I got caught uh, rejointing my patio. So I'm sorry about that. But yeah, that's me. Obviously fine. Uh, I am still on my pre-reg timetable. And so I have basically nothing on my timetable <laughs> to do, um, except, you know, prepare for today. Um, and I would love to have a patio and I can have my dogs over and like, you know, run around. Um, but sadly, I'm living in hospital accommodation. But anyway, uh, first things first. Um, so what kind of brought you into ITU? And why do, we, why do you think we need a pharmacist in ITU? Uh, right. So, like I said before, I have always, always loved ITU. So I was um, introduced to it for the very first time by a amazing pharmacist called Kathy Goddard, who was the ITU pharmacist at the Barks at the time. Um, and it just, you know, it kind of resonated with me. There was 
it's not that I didn't like any of the other areas. I've, I've enjoyed loads of other things that I've done in the hospital, but there is something about ITU that just clicks with me. Um, I guess I'm a little bit of a geek in that I, I love how drugs work in the body. That's what I used to really enjoy during the degree. I used, I love physiology and the bit about ITU is, and I know the patients are really sick and you can, you, you do get, people get caught up people do die unfortunately but we are actually really good at saving people and from a pharmacist point of view if you can recommend to a doctor that if you try this drug or that drug or don't do that do this um, at this dose and you see someone survive that's really that's an amazing feeling and um the good thing I guess also about ITU is it's possibly a little bit because they're so sick they the patients are really receptive to little things that you do so if you see somebody that's in AF and they're not flipping out of it and you load them with amiodarone you know often within a number of hours they've flipped out and you can watch it so you know how that drug's worked you know it's worked on the sinatral node and you can just see that patient flip out so why do we need a pharmacist there other than to uh tell the doctors the right way to give medicine sometimes um it's it's actually a lot of teaching because particularly for our ITU we've got an electronic prescribing system that can set up most of your common drugs so you don't need someone to tell you oh this is the correct dose of this this is the correct dose of that what you do need is someone to say this person is usually on all these other regular medicines we've missed it they're really important um or they're going to renal failure, this is the dose adjustment for that patient, or in some cases, don't adjust it because they're getting better, or say with antibiotics, sometimes go hard or go home, you know, they're really sick, they're septic, if you don't go full dose, you know, they could die, you could do full dose for 24, 48 hours, and then pull back, it's it's all those little nuances that, that the pharmacist is really good at, that Perhaps the, the doctors are brilliant at diagnosing. Absolutely, you know, that is their skill and that and rightly so. But our skill is to look at somebody from the medicines back and see how those medicines are most appropriate for that person. And, you know, yes, we do save doctors skin a few times, you know, but most of the time it's 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 looking for all those other little bits. Another example, I guess, would be lots of different drugs that can prolong your QT interval. We get really tetchy about it, but on ITU, I can say this drug, this drug, this drug is okay, but perhaps not this fourth, but if you are going to do it because it's a life-saving treatment, what can I do to make it as safe as possible? So can we make sure the monitor is recording the QT interval and if it gets beyond a certain number, well, let's stop that drug. All those little things that people don't necessarily think about straight away. So that's why you need a pharmacist up there and that's that's the bit I love and that's mm. why I try and get everyone else enthusiastic about ITU as well. Thank you. Thank you, Lorraine. Um, I think that's really important. Like, as you said, you're inspired by the ITU um, the pharmacist in World Books. Yeah. And so I think um, it is fantastic, I think, uh, to have someone that you looked up to whilst you were, you know, in your junior years, um, uh, especially because, you know, that's when, you're, you're thinking of your career path, like all of us in junior levels, like newly qualified or just pharmacy students. Um, I think that's so important. And obviously we, like me and other periodists, we look up to you, different pharmacists that are on your level as well, like uh, yeah. Alison and like Robin and those guys yeah. and Polly. 
you will pick up really good things that those people do. And you go, I want to pick up that bit. I want to remember that bit. And you'll look at some things that we do and you go, do you know what? I'm never bloody doing that. I'm never acting that way or I'm never going to say that. But, you, but when you were a pre-reg or in your early years particularly, you will see all those skills that other people will have and you can pick the best of everything that you see and you can mould that to yourself. And you can see, in with you already, Stephen, you can see how you've progressed already and you can see how you're getting your confidence and you're picking all of those skills up from other people that you've worked with. Yeah, definitely. And still lost learning. I think in terms of ITU, I've personally only been up there once with Tyra, one of our band sevens. And I think it's pretty much like how you would see it in the movies, like where everyone's either tubed up and resting or every alarm bell is just going off. And literally the whole ward is on to that one patient. But yeah, I think it's just really different like to any other wards. And the risk and benefit ratio is it's just so different from like cardio and rest because you know they're literally about to die or else they wouldn't be in ITU. But yeah, so is there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, I guess I can touch on the, the fact that people are intubated now. So often people are put to sleep on ITU because they are so unwell that they physically wouldn't really be able to cope very well with with their illness if they're awake and I'm sure we've probably all been there at some point in life and I certainly have where you're so unwell that you make those horrible incomprehensible noises that you're lying in bed going because you just feel so horrible and you imagine that but probably like 10 times worse so and then and then you get really hypoxic so you get short of oxygen and then if you haven't got enough oxygen carrying capacity then your organs can get starved so actually sometimes the best thing we can do for somebody is to put them to sleep um or give them an anesthetic that they won't really be aware of what's happening um it's that fine balance of trying to get the anesthetic uh level rights that they are still an awake and alert if you need them to do something so you can explain or so the nurses can explain when they're turning somebody if they're doing personal care so you can so that patient is aware that that's happening but it also allows you to be compliant with a ventilator and therefore we can oxygenate your blood properly and then we can get oxygen to the organs and then your body can heal itself so you do get you do get a lot of people asleep and sometimes that's quite nice you know there are some days where you just really don't want to speak to anybody of the patients and and actually yes that person's tubed i don't have to that's brilliant <laughs> um, but there are other days that and you will get other patients that are actually up on itu because they might get sick and if they get sick they're going to go downhill very quickly and people often say they're going to fall off their perch and um, so if someone is about to fall off their perch then they'll come up to itu because we can preempt that very very early and perhaps stop them getting tubed and those people are awake and you can see those people recover very quickly and we actually had a few of our covid patients like that so we had a few that were asleep and we had a few that actually managed to well we managed to keep them awake and oxygenated and help them get over the worst of their covid when they're out ever having to put them to sleep and that was actually a really good success story of ours mm. <laughs> That is very interesting. And that also very much um, all basically leads to my next question. Um, but before I go for that, um, I think you briefly touched on what you do on a daily basis um, normally. But again, do you have like anything else to add to uh, what you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, as you know, I'm now the lead pharmacist for critical care and theatres. So I'm in charge of 
of both of those areas. Um, when you're in charge of those areas, you're in charge of all the medicines, you're in charge of the finance part of those bits as well, and the guidelines, making sure everything is appropriate in theatres and in ITU. So I, I guess your average day for me would be um, get to work, obviously have at least one or two cups of tea, because um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, go on the ward round. So when you go on the MDT ward round, so multidisciplinary team ward round, so you've got the junior doctors, you've got the consultant, there's often a physio there. Um, we have now got speech and language therapists um, and OTs as well. So we'll all go on the ward round in the morning and you'll talk about the patient and we'll all chip in our little bits. So how can we make this patient better today? We, can we go up on the Ramopril today? Or oh, you haven't actually restarted their antidepressant. We're hoping to wake them up in a couple of days. We need to reload that now. So can we start that? So I chip in all of those little bits as well. Um, once you've done that, we'll then go back usually and review the charts because with a vessel in the world, whatever you say doesn't always get done on the ward round. You have to go back and follow it up again later. Um, a little bit of reading notes to make sure that you're actually... You have got everything right. If you haven't gone on the ward round, you don't know what's going on if you haven't read the notes. And then I do a lot of finance stuff. So <laughs> we do. I do some finance analysis. I look at... Um, so every month I pull off the top 20 drugs that were spent in the previous month and I have a look at them and go, was that appropriate? Did we did we miss something? You know, Have we actually used too many days of an IV antifungal when actually we could have stepped down to an oral mm. one earlier? Is there any way I can make last month if we had an identical last month again could i make it a little bit more cost effective um you know particularly for covid at the moment it's gone completely through the roof because we've had to buy in whatever we can and we've bought loads of renal fluids in etc um but usually you can you can have a look and you go right do you know what we're on we're on trend for this month you know, our average monthly spend is a, is a is about okay um or we've had a hematology patient in um, who has pushed the, the the budget through the mouth. So we had somebody a couple of years ago who was a holiday maker from London who unfortunately um, was, a, well, he had haemophilia and he had a bleed and he needed lots of factor seven. And the drug bill came in at £300,000 and we normally spend about 35 a month. <laughs> so, so I had to explain away to finance why that was so high. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that's that. The other things I do are probably much more interesting. So I do a lot of governance. So we do a monthly governance report where I explain um, what's happened in pharmacy in the last month. So everyone's aware, update lots of guidelines. I do a lot of teaching. So I do some ad hoc teaching for junior doctors that are on the ward at the time when they're quiet. Um, I do plan sessions once a month to the nursing staff. I do ad hoc stuff to pharmacy. I know you've been along to a few of mine, Steve, as well. Um, and that's actually one of the bits I really love. I love the teaching bit. I love seeing somebody suddenly go, oh, yeah, I understand that now. And somehow you've done that. That's great. And then I have to do dispensary duties. I used to do on call. I don't do that anymore. Um, and I get involved in a few like major service changes. So it's pretty, it's pretty varied. My job, my job is pretty varied, but the main bit is still patient focused, and that's the bit I love. That's great. We always need passionate pharmacists in the, in the building. Um, I think with with the hematology hematology patient just now, um, it's always like a double edged sword with Cornwall, isn't it? Because we rely so much on <laughs> holiday makers because we need that to help our little county um, uh, sustain our economy. But at the same time. <laughs> 
<laughs> like you just said about <laughs> spendings. Um, sometimes that kind of happens as well. I think that also kind of leads me on to um, our next question, which is obviously a topic of our podcast today. Um, how is COVID actually hit <laughs> hit our our southwest um, seafront? Um, I think if you can talk about a few interesting cases that you've had an impact on, that'd be great. Okay, so we were actually very, very fortunate down here in that COVID didn't hit us as badly as we were expecting and as bad as the uh, predictions were. And that's probably because Cornwall tends, the people in Cornwall tend to self-isolate reasonably well. You know, when we when we go on a bus to work, you know, it's a short park and ride bus you know, with... <laughs> 40, 50 people, it's not a packed tube, it's not going across the city. So we were incredibly fortunate. Um, We had to plan for a massive surge, and that's what hit us the most, I think. Um, So to put it into context, we have, we are funded, so each hospital is funded for ITU beds. We are funded for nine level three, which are the ITU multi-organ failure. Um, and six level two, which are your traditionally HDU patients, your single organ failure. So that's what we're funded for them all the t- all the time. So we would normally be having say fifteen beds. We can flex up a little bit and flex down a little bit. We had to find uh, drugs, nursing staff, doctors, beds, anaesthetic machines, ventilators for ninety. So nine zero patients. Sheesh. So that was that was a massive undertaking. We had we thought we had about three weeks before COVID was properly going to hit when all of this was going on. Um, so that took over basically my entire life for about three or four weeks. Um, so from a pharmacy point of view, things I had to do. The main thing was worrying about the anaesthetic machines, actually. So when we're on ITU, we use ventilators, and ventilators are designed to oxygenate people perfectly well without the use of an anaesthetic gas to keep people asleep. But when you're in surgery, if mm. I, if you ever, if anyone's ever had surgery, they're often put to sleep with something like propofol, which is what we always use on ITU. But then you're actually usually kept to sleep with a gas instead. So um, our most common one that we use down here is sevoflurane. So if we're going to use anaesthetic machines to keep people asleep, we have to run isoflurane with them. Yeah. And if you run isoflurane in an area that hasn't got the um, gas scavenging kits and the oxygen and the air changes to go with it, then actually you could essentially anaesthetize the operators <sighs> So that was a massive problem for us, a real concern that we we had all these, we managed to get ventilators or anaesthetic machines, but we actually only had about 20 ventilators and the rest of them were all the other 70 patients that we were expecting were going to have to be run off of um, anaesthetic machines. So we had, I ended up getting involved in medical gases like I never thought I'd ever have to, to try and get things for the air changes. Um, the other thing that we were really worried about is obviously because we're so far west which is great because it saved us from a lot of covid um covid hit london and the big cities first and therefore a lot of the drug supplies went to london and the big cities first um a lot of it had gone to italy because that got Mm -hmm. to that had covid before us so we were running short on propofol before covid ever hit 
So we had to make plans for, okay, we can't use propofol, which is our first line agent. What if we can't use that? We might switch to morphine and midazolam. If morphine and midazolam run out, what are we going to do? So um, one of the things I did quite early on with one of our first patients actually was to try and reduce the amount of sedation that we would use basically to keep it for everyone else that we thought was coming. Um, I suggested a switch to some of the oral sedatives. So we actually started giving people regular oral lorazepam when they were asleep. We just put it down their NG tube. We gave them oral clonidine as another way to try and reduce the amount of intravenous sedation that we needed. So that was one of the things that actually worked really well for us. And it meant that our stocks of sedative agents never ran out, which was amazing, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) Um, One of the other things that we were really worried about was the um, drug pumps. So we assume we've got all the drugs in the world. Brilliant. And then when you're on ICU, they get given by a syringe pump usually rather than just a gravity drip. Yeah. Well, if we're going to ventilate 90 people and we're going to give 90 drugs to 90 people and say we had the drugs for 90 people, which we didn't at the time, <laughs> um, we were going to basically use up every single drip stand and uh, drug infusion pump mm. in the entire hospital. So then that fell to me to find an alternative plan for everyone else that needed drugs. So... Um, if you remember that guideline that came out about mm. gravity drip infusion, so we um, poached some other work that someone else had done that was on the SPS website, and then we enhanced it quite a lot to um, to spread out across the hospital. So that took up loads of time. We had to write loads of guidelines and other stuff. Um, but in terms of interesting cases, COVID didn't... The COVID cases that we got didn't react like we were expecting them to you know at in the very early stages we thought it was a respiratory problem um so we thought it was going to be a bit like a ards mm-hmm. yeah. um so acute respiratory distress syndrome yeah. turns out it's not at all <laughs> um so we um we had a lot of problems with clotting and it's very it's well known now that well generally well known that it does seem to be a clotting disorder and people are getting these tiny little clots we had a patient who had platelets of 25 Holy who was still clotting and it was he was an absolute oh, i wouldn't say he's a disaster to treat but he was so difficult because he was a previously really fit and well 60 something year old chap um who yeah got covid um he went into renal failure very quickly which is pretty standard for those um sorts of people day 10 happened and he of being on itu flipped into af and all of our patients seemed to do that you could write it like a book but this man was on the renal on the um hemofilter and we usually anticoagulate them and he was clotting the filter and we're like we don't understand it this is ridiculous and we were watching his platelets fall and he got to platelets of 25 and then he clotted the filter again and we went through four filters in 24 hours and they're like, oh my god, Lorraine, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We don't know. This is your area. These are this is drugs. This is definitely a drug thing. This is the hemofilter. You wrote the hemofilter guidelines. You sort it out. And I was like, shit. Honestly, shit, shit, shit. Uh right, so I've done some looking around some other places. We've um 
Some people have started increasing their treatment doses. So we basically whacked this person on this massive treatment dose of low molecular weight heparin. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and ran a citrate filter. And there's that little bit of you, like crossing house going, please don't bleed. Please don't bleed. Um, And it it worked. So we we were really, really lucky. And actually, as a result of that and some other clotting patients that we had that were clotting where we weren't expecting them to, the um, extended VT prophylaxis, the enhanced VT prophylaxis guidance came out that myself and um, a couple of the other pharmacists, the medical pharmacist, Polly, um, our clinical lead, Helen, the three of us basically wrote that over a course of a week and got it through uh, the hospital. So anyone that came in with COVID, they had a like a, almost like a risk system, and then we put them on enhanced VT to stop those clots, and that's worked really, really well. So uh, a few little trying times, a few interesting bits, um, but actually we were incredibly lucky because we were able to ventilate our patients for so long because we didn't get the number of people that we were expecting. Most of our patients survived, um, the longest time I think we had someone on a vent on a sorry sedation was forty two days, and the average is usually about six. Um, but yeah, we got we got through it, and they got through it, and that's the really important thing. And and the sense of like pride and achievement that you got with the whole team afterwards was really good. So so that they're probably the most interesting bit, that's I reckon. Yeah. I don't think anyone can top the platelet 25 story. Um, <laughs> that is some insane story that you can tell your grandkids. <laughs> well, I can tell my grandkids that Lorraine did it. <laughs> um, that is really cool. Um, obviously, ITU is something that I think a lot of people are still quite um, unfamiliar about. And thank, so thank you for like you know shining a light on what you actually do and what kind of impact you have um, as a pharmacist there. Um, so I think we kind of briefly touched on how, you know, we have drug shortages, um, which is always a problem, especially in these times uh, in COVID. But also because we're in Cornwall and a lot of the manpower and resources are just given to London, the big cities, before we even get like a hand on it. Um, so what kind of things do you think, um, obviously, we're doing great in, um, but what are also some of the opportunities we, are, we kind of should be pursuing as well? Um we are actually a really good teaching hospital. We've got the medical school down here, Peninsula Medical School. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're, we're, we're good at that and we've got a, a, we're getting a very good reputation. Things that we are good at, I guess, I think, well, things that we're getting better at is collaborative working. I would have said a few years ago, we probably weren't so good at that. Um, but now there's been a real push to to make sure everyone's involved. And to listen to everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're uh, the cleaner or the cook or if you're the consultant, the the trust actually does listen to people now. So you can get things from all sorts of different points of view to make things better. So that's a really good thing. Um, We, I guess we tend to be a little bit slow on the uptake of some of the big new fancy drug trials because people don't want to send them down to Cornwall. Mm. Um, or if there's a lot of monitoring in place, it's actually very difficult because our lab simply can't do the monitoring that is necessary for all of those things. So um, to put that back into a COVID situation, we couldn't really do the convalescent plasma down here because right. it just wasn't yeah. simply feasible for yeah, us. 
Um, but we do get some really good um, cancer trials. We've got a really good cancer Oh, it sounds awful. We've got a really good cancer team here. Really good at cancer, <laughs> um, but we we do get a lot of we get a lot of trials. We've got a really good research department, um, well in the hospital generally. So that's something I think we're very good at. In pharmacy, actually, our ability to manage drugs is really good. Probably, I would say better than a lot of other places because we're so remote. We have to be good at managing stock and predicting early when we think we're going to use something and our purchasing team work incredibly hard to get stuff in early and we've got very good links with when you're on call um and i'm sure everyone's been there when you're on call in the middle of the night and they go oh we need hiv drugs we don't have that in but then actually we realize that we can get it so we've got really good links with deriford so we can source a lot of stuff from deriford um bristol so we get it couriered down and that makes things a lot easier. So we actually managed to sort of pull out all the stops for a few people that you'd never really think about otherwise. I reckon, yeah, that's probably it though. Sounds like a common problem, uh, <laughs> especially down southwest. Oh goodness. Um, <clears throat> so I think that that was really cool. Um, getting a perspective from you um, <laughs> on what we what you think we can improve on because you know obviously you've been here for a while yeah. and i think you know 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> no short time 14 years yeah. um so yeah i think that that'll be good um i think there's a lot of things that we can reflect on uh going into the future um and i'm glad we're quite good at planning ahead um because we're so remote um but yeah that sounds pretty cool switching gears a little bit if you had to build like the perfect pharmacist what would be his or her superpower? Honestly, don't be a dick. <laughs> That's probably a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> actually, genuinely be yourself. So when I interview now, because I interview for some band sixes, I don't like cocky people. Someone who knows everything or thinks they know everything will not ask for help. So that's actually a real turn-off for me. And the people that go, oh, well, I, I know this, 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 this at the BNF. And you're like, well, great, but there's a BNF to tell me that. So I think that appreciation that you will never know everything, but you need to know where to find that information and never rely on what you think you know, you need to just look it up. Because, <laughs> because you know, if we all relied on what we thought we knew, I would still be recommending the wrong dose of Tazacin for people on a filter. You know, I um, we wouldn't be using dexamethasone no. in um, our COVID patients because yeah. it's bad for ARDS, so it's obviously going to be bad for COVID. Yeah. So you need to you need to understand you will never know anything or not anything. You'll never know everything. anything. Yeah. <laughs> you will yeah, never yeah, know yeah, everything. Yeah. So, but you need to know where you can find it. And actually, it's it's all right to go. Joe, I don't know, but I will come back to you and find out. And it's that important coming back to you and telling you. I think it's really important. Other things that I think are really a key, I guess, are as a pharmacist, we are often seen as um, the policeman. You know, oh, you've done that wrong. Well, you've done that far. Eh. And then uh, even now, you know, I ring up some of the doctors and they're like, oh God, what have I done? You're like, geez, you haven't done anything wrong. I'm just going to ask you a question so I can we can work this through. 
So you you want to you don't don't just want to go that's wrong, this is right. You need to explain why it's wrong and how you can do it better because otherwise people don't learn. And I think that's something I have realized. And when I was when I was a junior pharmacist, I was always really cautious that oh they're not going to listen to me. I'm a baby pharmacist. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? Actually, you're not wrong because you've just looked it up. So you know you're not wrong. You, what you need to do is explain the reason that I think you should do it this way or would recommend you do it this way is because of X, Y, Z. You know? And as a pharmacist, all we can do is recommend. Um, I mean, I would recommend quite strongly <laughs> and fiercely. Um, but ultimately, if somebody wants to do what they want to do, you know, that is their, that's their prerogative as a prescriber. Um, and I guess when I did my independent prescribing course, I twigged that perhaps a little bit more than I ever had before. But it's the it's the explaining, um, telling someone that, you know, there's this alternative, there's this alternative, there's this alternative rather than just no. Um, and then if I love teaching, so I love explaining things and say those little light bulb moments if you're if you can be a good teacher i reckon if you had that one superpower it would be uh actually two superpowers one would be to be able to drink tea quick uh, so you can drink it with asbestos mouth it's really important um the other one is uh to be a good teacher because if you can teach someone um that information is going to get passed on and passed on and passed on again yeah so i agree like i think we get taught a lot of like theoretical knowledge at uni but it's about how we apply those facts into our daily practices. It's like numbers, right? It, you, it's numbers are there, just how you present it. Yeah, right? and it's it's how you how it's right for that person. So if you've got someone that's on fruzamide, and you go, oh, well, the normal dose of fruzamide is forty milligrams in the morning, and then you realise that that person would really benefit from forty milligrams in the morning, but actually they're up all day and then they're pissing like a train and they just will not take it then actually maybe 20 is right for that person or 20 bd and it's those little nuances that work you know when i was a junior i used to absolutely hate standing at the end of the bed looking at a drug chart because i felt the eyes of the patient on me and i thought i had to know everything like that straight away and it used to scare the bejesus out of me so i learned very quickly take the charts away sit at a table work it through in your head imagine that sort of almost like a dummy patient Mm. and then go back Mm. and tell them the answers and that takes the pressure off you Mm. and I still do that now so I have to it takes a long time to put the stuff that you learn from university and the theoretical stuff into practice and it's those bits that you will pick up in time that's fantastic um something that we think I think uh, as you said, takes time uh, and experience that I'm sure we all can have uh, down the line. So finally, a bit something more lighthearted um, <laughs> uh, and a bit more fun. Um, so I think we were, the other day we were talking about samba dancing and churro. <laughs> yeah. um, can you just, you know, I think a lot of times people think, oh, pharmacists just, you know, standing around back of the back of the pharmacy putting labels and boxes and just being, you know, just really studious. So what kind of fun things do you do outside of work? And, you know, how do you kind of keep that work-life balance? So, yeah, the dancing bit, I, you know, I love it. I've always loved dancing and um, just basically being a complete idiot, flailing around. I mean, I can't dance for toffee, I'm sure I can't really. Um, but 
oh yeah, I used to do, I used to do this Basista dancing and, um, so it was like, it's, it's carnival samba. It's a Rio style, um, samba. So if you ever watch, uh, Strictly Come Dancing, it's a slightly different yeah. version to that. Yeah. And, uh, it turns out I was actually pretty good at it. And, um, so, so I used to, I had the opportunity to put on a different persona and not usually at work, but outside of work, I totally can be myself and I can be someone completely different. I mean, extravagant and there's, I love the energy, the fun, the vibrancy, and the fact that actually I used to get up and, and dance around in a uh, bikini in Truro and everyone around the hospital knew about it. And everyone would come up to me around um, carnival season and go, are you dancing this weekend? Are you dancing this weekend? Are you dancing in the Yankee Carnival? Are you doing City of Lights? And it would actually be really fun. And it was a real icebreaker for a lot of people. Um, I got in a few hairy moments with them. I was uh, one of my, <laughs> I was dancing in uh, St. Agnes. Uh, years ago with one and one of the new ITU consultants had just moved down didn't realize I did it and I was doing this big spin and I basically caught him full body full my body in his face because he was bent down showing one of his children what to do (laughs) that was a little bit awkward um so I think as a pharmacist you've got to remember that actually you that is your job that's what pays the bills and that's what pays for you to be the normal person that you want to be to have a life go up and do fun things said I used to do a lot of snowboarding down here nearly everyone surfs um so I do a little bit of surfing and yeah I I guess I love doing the other weird thing that everyone knows me for is all the weird DIY which is why I was late today (laughs) but I think it's really important to prove that actually pharmacists are just normal people we're not we're not the policemen we're not the nerdy people with a lab coat standing you know, in a corner and we've got a really important thing to say. And if you can be a little bit vivacious and you can have a life outside of pharmacy, then, then you're onto a winner, aren't you? Well, we are licensed drug dealers. Um, yep. d- d- depends on how you kind of interpret that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's usually <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's pretty much it. That's all the questions I wanted to ask today. Um, thank you so much for going right. coming on the part to the very first episode um <laughs> and what is your in the end hot box uh no well actually i think i think i've I got think. sam's in the city you think you got oh you got think, through actually i think yeah we got through right. sam's city. shout so out to sam's in the city um, <laughs> i'm getting burger and uh i think a salad nice actually and then a very large glass of gnt or three when i get home definitely required <laughs> i will definitely get some too um i was gonna ask you what, what your favorite gins were but um Aviator. okay well there you go <laughs> it's, a, it's a ryan reynolds one okay well you know always there go, go deadpool. Little, little plug little deadpool plug there he owns aviator gin it's bloody lovely <sighs> yeah i i had this i think i have to stand by my kind of asian roots and go with the japanese Roku gin that I have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very accessible in Saints Reese. Yeah, I can sit over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sadly. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for going on, come on the pod. Um, and thank you for giving us all the insight of just, you know, a sprinkle of what a pharmacist does in the ITU setting and, you know, how we're, we're quite just a normal person. Not your average Joe, but different. We're an average Joe on steroids. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we're average Joe on steroids. Um, and um, how you know we can carry different personas in different times when we're even at work or out of work so yeah thank you so much and thank you all for listening to our very first episode of the pod 
Um, we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud for any updates. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, or email me via the prnpodcast at gmail.com with any comments, thoughts, or suggestions for future episodes. That's all for now. But don't forget to tune in anytime, anywhere, when required. See ya!